Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I just want to remind you that if you're seeking a, a good Bible study, that we are continuing to have a study on the end times in 70 AD. We are walking through a study on Matthew chapter 24 and the testimony of Josephus, and we're discussing what we can expect when Jesus comes back. To all who want to move closer to God or are invited to attend, we do that on Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. in the Family Life Center. If you're ready to begin today's study, then turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. For This message is entitled, From God to Man, Part 1. Have you ever thought about what it must be like to be God? I mean, a lot of people wonder this. In fact, our culture is enveloped with stories and fantasies about how we can become God, or at least God-like. I mean, it's in our comic books, our novels, or TV, movies, video games— I mean, sometimes it's fun to think about what it would be like if we had godlike power. One of my favorite movies is Bruce Almighty, where God, played by Morgan Freeman, uh, gives Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, the opportunity to be God for a while. I don't want to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it. Let me just say, if we should get anything from that movie, it's that being God's a lot harder than it looks. Now, the idea of being God isn't just in the realm of entertainment, though. There are multiple religions that actually teach that if you try hard enough, if you focus hard enough, you can be God. Multiple cults promote this idea of becoming God. For example, in Mormonism, uh, believers are taught that one day they will be like God and have their own universe and little spirit babies running around. Like they will be the, the, the God of their own realm. And there's, there's a concept of reaching nirvana in Buddhism and Hinduism, which is a godlike state. And there are other teachings of, about like how to reach ultimate enlightenment through Unitarian Universalism and Scientology. Now, if you think about it, though, even Christianity promotes the idea of becoming like God, with one major difference that we'll get to later on. You might be, be wondering, like, well, what are you talking about? Christians don't say that they're going to be God. But we'll be like God. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So in a way, we become like God. It's a popular concept, man becoming God. So popular, there are numerous books and even sermons that address why we are so enamored with the concept of being God which usually revolve around the fact that Satan himself wanted to be like God, and it got him thrown out of heaven with a third of all the angels. You know, in my life, I have heard multiple sermons that explain specific reasons why man would want to be God. But I don't think I have ever heard a message that explains specific reasons why God would ever want to become man. As it turns out, though, there is a sermon about why God wanted to become man, and it's called the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, there are actually four specific reasons why God became man. And for the sake of time, we're just going to talk about the first reason today in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Before we go there, though, I just want to warn you that this passage is not for the faint of heart. There are some deep theological concepts in this book, and if any point you start feeling lost, whether in my message or, or uh, you know, just reading the text itself, I'm going to encourage you to just look to Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty good rule of thumb regardless. If you get lost, look to Jesus. So let's read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. This is what it says. For he did not subject the, to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, 
What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subjected to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let's pray. Father God, we just come to you now and we just ask for um, a spirit of peace and, and a spirit of insight, Father, and discernment as we read this passage. And God, this can be kind of confusing and all the things that you did and all the things that you're doing in us and through us. And just help us, Father, when we get lost to just put our eyes on Jesus because, but Father, we know that he is um, the way out of confusion and he is the way out of of uh, being tangled up by sin. So, God, just help us to to, to, do, to do that. And, and, Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit might be at work through us in this message. We love you in all these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one thing I meant to mention before I read this was that you really have to pay attention to the capital he's and the lowercase he's. Because when it's capital he, it's talking about God and Christ. And when it's lowercase he, it's talking about mankind. So when we read through this again, be, be sure to pay attention to that. Um, the first reason, and we're going to talk, spend some time talking about this today, the first reason why God became man is to reclaim the authority over creation that man lost. Now, the author brings up uh, angels in his letter again, uh, for we've already studied about how the angels, as great as they might be, are inferior to Jesus Christ. He is superior. Here, however, he makes a new argument about angels. His argument is that God, after creating the world and everything in it, didn't give authority of the earth to the angels. He gave it to man. And God, if you read Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 27, 28, this is what it says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now what we learn from this passage is that God established man to be his direct representative of ruling over creation, which means creation obeyed man. Notice the contrast, though, whenever man sinned. God told Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, Cursed is the ground because of you. And toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles will shall grow up for you. And you will eat the plants of the field, but by the sea, by, excuse me, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat. And till, uh, till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken uh, from dust, and to dust you shall return. Now this shows us the difference of man's relationship before and after sin. Things, things used to come easy, perhaps even whenever he called for it. Adam could have walked around him and like... Apple, apple fell in his hand. Um, you know, I, I'd like some grapes. Grapes, there you go. But now, Adam was going to have to work very hard to produce anything. The, the creation no longer obeys him. He tells them, you will sweat and labor because the ground is cursed because of you. When sin entered the world, the ground became cursed. 
Now, this is important when you consider what the author of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. He says in verse 5, For he, talking about God, did not subject to angels to the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. Now, this can give some perspective on God's relationship between men and angels. He could have given it to the angels, but he didn't. He originally gave it to us. But to ensure that we don't become prideful with this knowledge, look what the author of Hebrews says in verses 6 through 7. He says, But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the work of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, some things worth noting about this passage is that we should notice that man has been placed underneath angels for a short time. God, when bringing us into glory with Christ, will place us above the angels. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? So we will be put above angels. Also notice that he says at the beginning of verse 6, One has testified somewhere. Now, why did he say that? Why does he, is it like he didn't know where this was pulled from? I highly doubt that was the case with how much Old Testament knowledge the author of Hebrews had. I mean, this guy, whoever it was, he had explicit knowledge of Levitical law. I mean, things that things that Jews well knew and and understood. Uh, This uh, this was a well known Davidic hymn in the Book of Psalms. He used to sing this all the time, and it's possible that just like the author intentionally remained anonymous, we don't know who wrote Hebrews that he wanted to point the reader to the Holy Spirit when reverting, uh, you know, referring to this, this, uh, this psalm. Uh, for as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This was a reading from Psalm 8, which is a very, very beautiful song. And, and the, the point of this is take the, the attention off of ourselves and to put it on God. That when we consider all of the creation that we, we are, is in display in front of us, I mean, it's beauty and it's majesty that we should worship the Creator. Now, I'll never forget, uh, my wife and I, whenever we got to go on our honeymoon, we went to Rio Dosa, New Mexico, and we went up to the highest point on the, on, the, on the tallest mountain that we could get to. I mean, we rode the lift all the way up. A lot of people don't do that because they're afraid to go that high. But we wanted to go see it, and, you know, we were careful enough to take our skis off so we didn't just slide off the other side because we were not real good with it but you know when we went up there I'll never forget we looked off the side of the mountain and it was just majestic I mean just beautiful and there's a response that happens in a believer when you see that kind of beauty in creation you just worship the creator no 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 I want to ask you a question I want you to think about why do we as humans have this deep need in us to conquer and to explore and to climb? I mean, why do, why do some of us risk our lives to climb the tallest mountain in the world as if we left something important up there? I mean, when we get to the top of Mount Everest, what do we see? The other side of the mountain. I mean, like, why are we so driven to climb it? Why do we need to know what's in the deepest part of the ocean and discover the new species of fish that we didn't know previously existed? Why do, we, why do we look to the stars and reach towards the deepest expanse of space? Why, what is it in us that causes us to do that? 
Well, I think the answer is twofold. I think we climb the tallest mountain and swim the deepest sea and reach out to the deepest parts of space because we know that they are there. But more importantly, because God gave us dominion over these things. I read something this week that you might find interesting. Did you know that during the Apollo 8 mission, when the astronauts were in orbit around the moon, that they took turns reading Genesis 1 on public television? Did you know that? After the flight, uh, the famous atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare ended up suing NASA for violating the First Amendment. The First Amendment says that government shall make no laws respecting an establishment of a religion, abrogating the freedom of speech or the freedom of press. According to O'Hare, they had violated the First Amendment because they were reading from the Genesis account on a government-sponsored mission. Consequently, during the Apollo 11 mission, NASA was a little on edge, and they wanted to avoid a potential lawsuit. They didn't think about, like, people are going to be offended when we read Scripture on air. And so, in the Apollo 11 mission, whenever they actually touched down on the moon, the astronauts were given freedom to read from Scripture if they wanted, but they had to do it off-camera. So Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong, before stepping out onto the surface of the moon, took communion, and they studied Scripture together, and they wrote down some passages of Scripture on an index card. And when they got out, you might remember how they said, the eagle has landed. Where did that come from? It was a statement that was influenced from Scripture. For those who have hope in our Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Now what they did was kind of interesting. They gathered up 27 pounds of lunar rocks, and they left the index cards in a small capsule on the surface of the moon. Do you know what passage of Scripture was written on those cards? <laughs> it's kind of funny. It was Psalm 8. I want to read Psalm 8 for you real quick. I, I meant to mark it in my Bible, and I forgot to do that, so I'm trying to get there real quick as I'm talking. Um, let me read Psalm 8 for you, and maybe you'll understand why they left this passage for whoever goes back to read. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man? that you take thought of him, and the son of man, that you care for him. You've made him a little lower than God, and you crowned him with glory and majesty to make him to rule over the works of your hands. And you've put under his feet all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. And while I understand there's no real way to fact check that this story is true unless we go to the moon ourselves, uh, Buzz Aldrin himself actually confirmed this story was true in a book that he wrote in 2007. Now I hope this can serve a as a comfort to you knowing that every time you look at the moon, not only might there be this reminder that the words of Psalm 8 are up there pointing us to God, but 
I hope that you'll be reminded whenever you look at it to fall down in worship of God and ask, who is man that you are mindful of him? Who is woman that you are mindful of her? Although we were made for a little while lower than the angels, God crowned us with glory and honor and appointed us over the works of his hands and put all things in subjection under our feet. For in subjecting all things to us, he left nothing that is not subjected to us. Look at the next part of this passage, though. It says, But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. The author of Hebrews here is making an important point. He says, wait a minute. We know that all things are supposed to be under man's dominion, but that's not what we see. So what's the issue here? We don't see all of creation subjected to man anymore. We, we see creation trying to kill man at every turn. I mean, from lions and tigers and bears, oh my, to tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and lightning storms. Nature is a deadly environment to exist in. And this is because, as it says in Romans 8.20, all of creation was subject, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the choice of the one who subjected it. In other words, when God says, cursed is the ground because of you, he meant cursed is the ground. All of creation has suffered because of the fall of man. When sin entered the world, man lost his crown as ruler over the land, air, and sea. And you may or may not have noticed things get a little dicey when we try to exercise our dominion over the earth now. For example, when we try to exercise our authority over, just say, the bugs by spraying some pesticides. And, and, and not only do we have to be careful not to consume something deadly, we can put an entire ecosystem in jeopardy. I mean, we've got several examples of that. I mean, we're always finding out later on that what we did 30 years ago, that ah, was a bad idea. Shouldn't have done that. God gave us dominion, but we lost it when sin entered the world. And God came, became man to reestablish man's right to exercise dominion over the earth. And I'm telling you, there are some really cool examples of how Jesus displayed authority over creation. Not just as God, but as the second Adam, the sinless man. For example, he got up from the bottom of the boat and he told the storm, peace, be still. And all the disciples were amazed, saying, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Not to mention Jesus walked on water. How did he do that? Do you know that one time Jesus came up on a fig tree that produced no fruit and he just told it, wither away and die, and it did? And we could say, well, you know, that's because he was Jesus. But listen, what do we do with verses like Matthew 17, 20 that says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. I think the point that the author of Hebrews is making is that God became man to pick up the crown of authority that was dropped when Adam and Eve sinned. Author says, as of now, we don't, see, we don't get to see creation subject itself to man. 
But as Paul says in Romans 8, 19-21, For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was submitted to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would also be set free from its slaver to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, creation cannot wait to find out who the children of God are so that it can be freed from what happened to it by sin. And Jesus came and he gave us that perfect example of what, it, what it's like having dominion over the earth. Remember, though, how Jesus said, Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus leads us into how to have dominion over the earth one day as he did. When he destroys sin once and for all, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, we will be God's representatives over the earth once again. And it will be through Christ that this happens. But be careful, because this is where, where some of us can get into trouble. We cannot exercise dominion over the earth without first submitting to God as the ultimate authority. Have you seen what man does when we, when we refuse to submit ourselves to God? When we try to be God ourselves? You know, we discovered how to fly an airplane and soar through the air. You know what we did with it? We turned it into a fighter jet. We found out how to split an atom. I mean, that's incredible. You know what we did? We made an atomic bomb. We, we figured out how to send uh, pictures through a television and internet and movies. And yet we consistently fill them up with violence and perversion. Every single time we excel technologically, we fail morally. By the way, the difference between us trying to be God and Christianity and every other religion is that Christianity teaches us to submit in reverence to God and to be transformed then into the image of Christ. We don't learn to be like God by our own authority. We first submit to Him, and through submitting to Him, we are transformed into a new creation to be used for His glory. We don't see creation submitting to man yet. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we do see Him who is made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. And because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. According to this passage, we are taught that because Jesus became obedient to the point of death, God highly exalted him. Christ has fulfilled all that is required as the supreme representative of mankind in creation. He fulfilled man's original purpose. So allow me to quickly pull three points from this passage, and we can take them home with us and chew on them. First, we are we were crowned, crowned. Excuse me, we are crowned with glory. God's original plan for us was that we should have dominion over the earth, but we were charged with guilt. When sin entered the world, our rule of dominion was lost. But we can be changed by grace. 
If we will surrender to faith in Jesus Christ, paradise can be restored. And when you're changed by grace, though, I mean, like that's, that's something significant. When we're really changed by grace, we no longer want to live for ourselves and be God over everything. We just want to live for Jesus. Paul expressed this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, when he said, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And I don't think we have to look at the statistics of death. You know, we, we know that 100% of people die, right? One out of one. You're going to die. We're all going to die someday. And the worst part is, is that we don't know when it's going to happen, and death is no respecter of persons. Old people die, children die, babies die, teenagers die, young adults die, middle-aged people die. And as Christians, we have something that is significant in Christ. that We don't have to fear death because Jesus has already tasted death for us. You know, in ancient days, kings would have food tasters. And uh, the reason being is their enemies might try to poison their food. And so they would have a servant taste their food before they ate it. And there were some perks of the job, you know, being the servant. You got to eat the king's food. Which was a terrible cost, too. You had to eat the king's food. (laughs) And what's so significant about Christ is that the king tasted death for us. And not only was he obedient to death, and God highly exalted him above every other, he survived death. He was swallowed up by death, but then death was swallowed up in victory when Jesus came out of the tomb alive. And this has amazing repercussions for us. We do not have to fear death when we place our faith in Jesus Christ because he went to the other side and he says, listen, I'm okay, trust me, follow me. Jesus came to give us eternal life and place the crown of authority over creation back on our heads and that we will one day rule with him. So I guess the question is, are we so busy trying to be God that we refuse to submit to him as God? You know, we, we want to be in control over everything that's around us. And, you know, that, that is a, a, a God-ordained right that we would exercise dominion over creation. But man only exercised authority over the earth when man submitted to God's ultimate authority. So I have to ask her, are you trying to just be God? I mean, it's a fun fantasy to think about. What, what if I was like God, if I had powers like God? But be careful. Satan wanted to be like God, and, you know, we've had lots of sermons, and I don't have to go much further than that. Just say, just to say that we don't need to be God because we have a God. I mean, we, all we have to do is read our Bible and see all of the disastrous results whenever we tried to be God. I mean, that's why we're in the shape that we're in today. And listen, that only leads to death. But Christ came and tasted death for us. And he lives. 
so we might live. So in closing, I just want to ask you, are you trying to be God? Will you instead trust in Him and submit to His authority and live? Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.